This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willer for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. Okay, let's get this heist game going. I got my safe cracker ready. Yeah, and I've been reading up on the rules for grifting, misdirection, and con jobs. Okay, it sounds like you two are raring to go. Definitely. I read your notes on the power brokers in the city, and I got a long-term goal to take down the head of the Tabisco family. He's my ex-partner from before I joined the feds, and he's also the reason I got kicked out of the FBI. Well, that's good. I like that. That's excellent. And I want to get uh, hooked back into the Jade Rose I read about in your setting. I figure my ex is a middle of force with them, and I want to get back in their good graces. I tried to show it, but I never stopped loving them, even after their betrayal. So after all these jobs will show that I'm still useful. Show them I have some value. Oof, ouch. That's going to be twisty, but I love it. All right. So both of you then are obviously excited about the game. So, like, let's not hold this up anymore. Let's get this game going. All right. And with that, welcome to the 464th episode of the Best Director Mark podcast. Tonight we're going to discuss how to engage players early in your tabletop role-playing games. Along the way, we'll take your comments, examples, and suggestions live from the Chatroom for Life on Twitch before jumping into the after show. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. And I am Old Man Logan. Good evening and welcome to the show. All right, let's get this party started with the temperature check, see how everybody's doing. Phil, how you feeling? I'm tired, my friend. I'm tired. <laughs> um, not for any bad reason. Uh, I'm physically tired because my dumbass uh, was playing No Man's Sky last night and stayed up way too late clearing a de- uh, abandoned freighter, derelict, derelict freighter. I didn't go to bed till like two something and then got up at 630 and was like, oh, and I did not get a nap today. So uh, I'm riding on caffeine and a little adrenaline and we're just going to see where it takes us tonight. Um, mentally went to therapy today. So uh, like got the cobwebs cleaned up. Uh, everything's like kind of neat and tidy, had a good session. Um, so I feel actually pretty good mentally as well. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in a plus right now, Jerry, how about you? Feeling good. Um, got lots of good sleep, but haven't had a good weekend with everybody. Um, off to a new week and, uh, should be a lot of fun. So I'm, uh, just rolling along well. So feeling good. I'm expecting that the rapid change in temperature over the next few days is going to throw my nose out of whack, but other than that, it should be good. <laughs> so, uh, for those out in Buffalo, we're going from like three degrees to 55 degrees in, in one day. So it's a little swingy. Um, so the temperature yeah. can be a little swingy. Yep. That'll affect my allergies, but I'm I ready for not, it. So let's go get them. I did not see that. So yay. All right. Personally, uh, mentally, I'm feeling good. Um, physically, my back has been acting up. It's very, very annoying. Like back uh, or so the I'm, neck thing? Uh, no, like middle back, middle, middle to low back. It's, okay. it's all an extension of all the other crap. Um, so I've been spending a lot of time sitting with a heating pad and uh, when I can, and I got to do some stretches and some other stuff. What I really need to do is is go find a place and get get <clears throat> excuse me, get myself a massage because that'll help uh, iron out the kinks. But sure. But other than that, that's that's my only complaint. I can't uh, I can't argue. So a plus. All right. Boom. Cool. Let's cool. Do this thing. All right. Um, quick announcement before we hit the feature segment. Um, you are listening to this show um, a week from now, which would be, I believe, the 22nd, because um, it's the 15th today. Um, there will be no live show on the 22nd. So our friends in the Slack room, there'll be no live show on the 22nd. 
Um, which means that for you who just listen to this on the podcatcher of your choice, there will be no recorded show on March 1st. Expect yeah. us back um, live March 1st. Expect us back on your podcatcher March 8th. Make sense? Yep. Cool. All right. Perfectly clear and not confusing right. at all. Not confusing at all. Just remember, we record them. <laughs> we record them a week before we drop them. That's there what you, you that's what you got to know. They're recorded a week before they drop. All right. Anyway. All right. Let's fire this bumper off and get the party started. Go, Phil. Mm-hmm. Workshop, workshop. We're talking about hooking them early. Get your players engaged. Get them excited about the game. The more excited they are, the more excited you'll be. And everybody will have a good time at the table. We're going to tell you how to do it tonight here. Where? Here in the workshop. Oh, and okay. don't suck. All right. Well, as you know, we often get topics for the show from things going on in our gaming. And since we're just about to get our, our Ox game going, we've just finished the first adventure. And we wanted to talk about how to create early engagement and investment in your campaign. And by early, we mean the first few stories. Mm-hmm. This topic, as we're going to talk about, dovetails nicely with our recent episode on session one and also about creating excitement. It comes together on really how to get a start to your campaign that's really, really strong. So... For you one-shotters, don't fear. What we're talking about here applies to all your one-shot games, but on a much smaller timeline, because everything we apply is only going to apply in one game. So, all right. And, of course, in order to get this all started, we need Phil to define a few terms for us. So, behold, you are in the presence of Definition Panda. We're going to be working with two terms tonight. Uh, And we're going to, you know... I mean, it's separate them out, um, but a lot of times when we talk about them, we're going to talk about um, both of them um, either together or apart as uh, as the game is going on. So the first one is engaged, right? Meaning greatly interested. In RPGs, um, being engaged in the game means that, yes, you're interested, but also when you are engaged, there are a number of things that kind of just naturally happen, right? So... Um, when you're engaged with the game, you're going to be paying attention to what's going on in the story, even if you're not in the spotlight, right? You'll be just interested in what everybody else is doing. Um, you'll have a greater understanding of what's going on in the story. Again, because if you're paying attention and you're interested in what's going on, you're going to be keeping the story together in your head. A lot of times, you know, we see this where people will like miss something where they weren't completely paying attention. The story doesn't make sense to them. And then you have to like drop the piece in that they were missing, that kind of thing. Um, When you're engaged in the game, you are understanding and learning the mechanics and rules of the game just by sheer focus, right? Um, And you're likely putting additional thought into your character as well as the other characters at the table, right? You're thinking about like, what things do you want to do for your character? Like in our opening, right? What goals do you want to have for your character? Or you might be thinking about like, oh, I definitely have to get a scene with Bob's character going because, you know, you know, because what's going on with my character is definitely going to bubble up with Bob's. Now the opposite of engaged is detachment, right? This is when players um, become disinterested in the game, right? And there's a whole host of reasons why that could occur. Um, But when you are detached from the game, the things that we just talked about above paying attention, understanding the story, learning the mechanics and putting thought into your character, those things don't occur right? You, you've detached from the game. You're just kind of there, 
right? We've all had this experience, right? Whether it was just that we weren't feeling well, a bad night, sure. a bad game, whatever. We've all had moments where we've been detached from the game yep. and just they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Roll your dice when it's your turn and just like let it move on and wait for the end of the night to come. Okay. Our second major term is emotional investment, right? When, which is defined as when your feelings are attached to someone or something. Um, emotional investment is actually different from engagement. Right. We can be interested in something, but not have any strong feelings towards it. Right. Can just be like, oh, this game's super interesting. I like what's going on, but not really have like any strong emotional feelings about it. Uh, likewise, I actually think it's harder in reverse. Right. I think if you're emotionally invested, I think you will engage. Right. Because the because your feelings will kind of drag your focus in that respect. Um, so I think it tends to work in the, you know, works from in emotional investment to make you engaged, but I think you can be engaged without being emotionally invested. Anyway, um, when, um, when we are emotionally invested, um, the player has feelings, um, meaning that, um, emotional investment is a form of bleed, right? Um, it's primary, it's primarily bleed out, right? Where what is going on with the character feeds back into the player, right? Cool things are happening with the character. You as a player are feeding off of those emotions. That's a bleed out. Um, but can easily, case can easily be made that an excited player will bleed into their character. That is their excitement and, um, energy level will feed into the character's actions, right? That's bleed in, um, in either case, direction doesn't really matter when you are emotionally invested in your character. It is a form of bleed. The end result of either and both of these emotional investment and uh, engagement is um, that if you have one or both of these things in your game, you're more likely to have a good experience at the table. You are more likely to want to return to the game. If I am really interested in what's going on or I am feeling this game, you know, I, I'm having a good time and you know, I want to come back because I want more of that. Absolutely. So based on those definitions, it seems really obvious why having these are important, but can we take that a bit deeper, Jerry? Yeah. The engagement and investment are major drivers for having an enjoyable game in general. This is because both of these cause players to focus the table and give them a positive attitude. And these are contagious the table. So if some of the players start to engage, it's going to help the rest become engaged and invested as well, and it just keeps feeding on itself. Over time, we've talked about a number of things that are greatly benefited by engagement and emotional investment. And so here's a brief list of additional benefits. As always, this is not an all-inclusive list. There's going to be some we missed, and they're in no particular order. Phil? <laughs> we can eventually just make that into a bumper. Just, <laughs> we do. We yeah. do. <laughs> um, uh, but I agree, right? I 100%. Um, so my first one on this list is shared imaginative space, right? This is a term. I don't think this term is used everywhere. I, this is a misdirected mark term. Shared imaginative space. I'll just define it really quick um, for people who aren't familiar with it. This is the common mental image of the game that we all try to maintain during play, right? It is if we're playing theater of the mind. This is all of us having the same rough idea of what the room looks like. Um, in the after show, I will tell, you know, I will tell the famous um, staircase story about where um, there was a breakdown in shared imaginative space. And it led to yes. some it led to some great hijinks in a, in a game Bob was running. But again, if you are invested and you are engaged, 
um, you are more likely to be paying attention to the details and thus you are doing a better job of keeping that shared imaginative space. And we've talked about this in other episodes, what happens when that breaks down, um, but it generally causes delays, confusion, things like that. Jerry. Next, we're going to talk about is progress, which is basically how efficiently we're moving through the story that we're playing. Engaged players know what's going on, and they're not going to lose focus or wander off stories. So emotionally invested players have strong things to move through the story, and they're going to drive the groups that we keep moving forward and don't get stagnated on what to do next or get uh, dragged out on uh, details that just don't go anywhere and leave people just kind of sitting around wondering what to, what to do as the next uh, adventure. Yep. Mm-hmm. Next one is excitement energy cycle. I'm not going into this in big depth because we just did this four episodes ago, right? We talked about excitement. Um, specifically, we talked about that positive energy cycle, right? Uh, just that, you know, when, when the players are feeling it at the table and are excited, it feeds back to the GM because, you know, the GM means that they've, you know, they're doing a nice job of entertaining everybody, or I should say facilitating that entertainment. Um, and in turn, when they're working between games, right, they're all charged up about it. So they're excited. They put a little extra work, a little extra creativity into that game feeds right back to the players, right? That loop is just, you know, that loop, that loop can do so much for a game yep. when it's in place. Uh, the next topic is PC and PC interactions. This is the times when characters interact with each other in banter or just having dramatic scenes with each other. Players who are emotionally invested in their character are going to want to have conversations with other PCs about the things they're invested in. This is where a lot of your um, in-story jokes are going to come from, your interpersonal relationships, comments, callbacks, all the stuff that the players do by interacting with each other that helps to further the story. Yep. Absolutely. Last one on our list for uh, for tonight is table mood. Um, look, if people are engaged and emotionally invested, the overall mood of the table is good. Um, it's just like everybody's feeling it, right? Everybody's having a good time. If somebody's like really excited about their character, what's going on, other people are like paying attention. Overall, everybody's feeling really good at the table. It's important, right? It's important. Like when we leave the game, like we may not have had um the funniest or upbeat story we can still have a good mood at the table even if we're dealing with like some heavy heavy stuff because if that's what we were out to deal with and we're getting it right we're getting heavy emotional drama the table mood can still be really good even if the content was really heavy you just you know when it when you take that break or when the session's over you're like whoo that's a lot but it was really good right like that's the like that's a good table mood positive table mood. So sum it up, your overall experience at the table is going to be improved when the people are engaged and emotionally invested. All right. So much like excitement, there is a part of emotional investment that is spontaneous, but it's also something that can be set up to occur. Phil, what are some of the ways that GMs can create a situation for emotional investment? Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, we're talking about emotional investment, but also this can also just create, this can also be engaging. Right. Like it doesn't have to just be um, emotional investment. It can also um, help create some engagement as well. And then we are definitely going to be talking more after this about ways um, to really hit some engagement as well. So I didn't I we're going to look at it from an emotional standpoint, but trust me that if you know, it also works for engagement. Okay, let's start by saying um, you cannot evoke emotions in people. Right. That's a superpower. Like none of us possess that superpower. You can't just make someone scared, 
right? You can't make a game be like, can't make something be funny. Um, you can only create situations by which people allow that to happen. Right. And this is why like move, like a movie, some movie, right. Can be scary to one person and another person will be like, eh, it was like, so, so right. Like it wasn't that scary. One person allowed themselves to be scared. The other person was like, eh, it's not. And they just don't allow themselves to be that. Right. So we can't, we can't evoke emotions. We can create situations. And that's what we need to do as GMs. We need to create those situations and create that space where the player can choose to emotionally invest. And that's why I was talking about the, about sometimes this is just engagement. Some players may not choose to get emotionally invested. Not everyone loves bleed. I, I like bleed, but not every, I mean, like not everybody likes bleed. So some people, when you do this, they're going to find the situation fascinating, but not like say blood boiling. Other yeah. people are going to be like totally into that, right? They're just going to like, Mm-hmm. It absorb what's happening and just be like, I feel vengeance in my heart now. Cool. Both ways work. Yep. All right. So if we are going to create these situations, the first thing we need to do is as a GM, when we're setting, you know, when we're working on our scenes, whether we're doing it on the fly or whether we're prepping, what emotion do we want to, you know, what emotion do we want to put out there for the player to invest in? Um, I will say this. I will say that, um, and I have done this both ways. So in my earlier GM days, when I was much more, um, much worse at this, um, I would just decide which emotions to evoke, right? Like I would just decide, like, I feel like Bob needs to feel some sorrow tonight, right? And I would just set up a situation to go punch Bob in the heart. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. But better than that, better than that, and this will be no surprise to you, you can talk to your players. You can talk to them and find out what emotions they might want to experience in the game. Like maybe Bob doesn't want to have any romance on his side of the game, but would very much like a little revenge, justice, something like that. Cool. Check. Got you. That's what I'm going for. Um, If you do it that way, you have a much better chance of creating that investment because the player is already receptive to it. Right. Like they already are like, oh, oh, I see he's setting up this injustice. Oh, I'm going to be so pissed about this. I can't wait. It's going to be great. (laughs) You know, as as opposed to surprise, motherfucker, punch right in the heart and then, you know, hit or miss. And I'll say this and then I'm going to let Jerry make a comment about it. Um, And I feel very strongly about this as well. Don't ever as a GM tell the player what emotions or thoughts their characters are having, right? Don't be like, uh, you open the door to find your ex-lover and clearly you are, you know, distraught. Well, you don't know. Like, yeah. player emotional thought, like thought autonomy and emotional autonomy are the player's purview. Yeah, I've, I've had GMs do, do this to me. Um, you, she walks in and you think she's the most beautiful woman you've ever seen. Maybe, maybe not. Or you feel horror and revulsion at that statement. Well, maybe not. Maybe my character is down with that. Or maybe my character isn't bothered by it. This maybe is where I'm a you monster. Ask. Yeah. Or maybe you just ask, maybe maybe the GM thinks something is, is horrible and the players don't and vice versa. Um, this is where you can ask the player about what their character thinks and feels. You know, she walks in and she's, she's you know, ravishing attractive. What do you think about that? 
you know, have you ever met anybody like that? Whatever, something on that line. But um, I, I played an online game with two different GMs who were constantly telling the players what they thought, what they felt when they, whenever a new NPC was encountered. Yeah, don't do that. And it, yeah, it well basically meant that the players, to a, to a player, hated every NPC that was brought in. If the GM brought them in, we're like, yeah, don't tell us what to tip. Okay, we just don't like this character. Um, yeah. Which made it's- it tough for the GM to get us inv- involved with their NPCs because the initial response to a lot of people when they're being told how they're supposed to act and play is to go in the opposite direction. That mm-hmm. doesn't go well. Yeah. I mean, this is the, um, in writing, right? This is the um, show it, don't say it, yep. right? If you want your, um, if you want your NPC to be revolting, you need to like show how they're revolting. Yep. Um, it usually players catch on, right? Like, you know, but, but you're absolutely right. You can't just be like, Oh, you're attracted to them because I need you to be for the next part of the story. That's lazy mm-hmm. writing. Yeah. Like that, that's just lazy GMing. Don't, don't do that. Like be better than that. Um, you know, you're going to have to sometimes work a little more for it. Um, but we're going to talk about that in a second. Yeah. And honestly, you still may not get all of the players on no. board with the concept no. because their character just might not like agree. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. So once you know the emotion that, that you want to do and the players are on board, then you need to work out the senior situation on where this is going to start. From there, you want to play out that scene and then have some follow-up scenes to reinforce it and let the emotions in the story develop as they go. In the early game, you may want to create that initial investment, but once you have it, you'll have time to let it grow without having to simply force it. Yeah, here are a few examples of situations that you could just throw into your game that will evoke certain emotions. We grouped them by emotion. Uh, once again, neither complete nor in order. Well, the first would be excitement. Um, chases, races against time, those are really great for getting people excited. Uh, that The short, very action-driven or stress-driven storylines can get people excited very, very quickly. Absolutely. Clocks, right? Like, yep. put that clock on the table, the D, like, you know, the countdown die, whatever, like, you get people, mm-hmm. you'll get people like, you know, you get people like gripping the table. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, romance. Um, listen, before we talk about any tips on romance, warning. Uh, romance is um, definitely a consent thing, right? Yep. So use a tool like the Spark. Um, we've talked about it before or some other consent granting tool uh, to let a player indicate that they would like to be romantic, right? Don't push a romance onto a character. Um, and again, if they're interested in the character that you're, that you're sparking romance with. Exactly. They, cause they might not be right. Yeah. And, and then if you push that, it's, it's kind of icky, right? So don't, don't do that. Right. So if you're going to do romance scenes, right. Um, and I'm all for them. Once you have I consent do. in place, um, romance and desire, right. You need like some slow dramatic scenes, right. You need like some, you need some conversations. You need um, flirting, seduction, right? You got to slow some things down a bit. Now, for juxtaposition, it really is fun to throw a scene like that right in the middle of a combat, right? Like that's a cool juxtaposition, you know, this frenzied combat going on. And there's a moment where, you know, both people's hands, you know, touch for a second and then like they part, you know, or, or they're having a conversation between fighting opponents. It's great stuff. But again, I'm pretty sure there's an entire genre of of manga that is all about just uh, awkward romances in the middle of of combat slash 
danger encounters and so yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally. It totally works, right? It, but it you does. still, but you still have to have those slower moments. You just right. got to drop them into like into the foreground of this ongoing battle. Um, so yeah, have those slower dramatic scenes. Let that. Um, you can't rush romance. Like it takes a little to get it to simmer mm-hmm. before you can get it to boil. That's right. All right. The next one is vengeance. This is going to be personal. So you're going to have to make it personal. Before you make it personal, remember, we always want to have consent and safety here. This goes back to the old school way of GMing where players were always terrified to have any backstory because they were afraid the GM was going to kidnap their mother, kill their dog, steal their girlfriend, whatever. You want to have consent and safety. Um, Either or both. You want both consent and safety. One of the ways to do that is to let the players know, like, okay, you know, I'm going to have somebody kidnap your girlfriend. We're not going to fridge her. Don't worry. You know, I'm going to give you the opportunity. Are to go you back. okay with that? This. Right. Yep. Like- and then are you okay with that? Um, and go from there. Uh, so one of these you can do is take something from them, steal their favorite car, take their retirement fund, etc. cetera. Um, as we said, don't fridge loved ones. It's lazy as bad form. And fridging by fridging, we mean killing them off just for just for dramatic effect or or romantic effect it's Um, it is lazy like oh i killed your mom now you have to be angry of course you're going to be angry Mm -hmm. it's just lazy there are Mm -hmm. other ways to get there are other ways to you know evoke vengeance exactly exactly burn down their favorite pub like that'll do it no one's in Mm -hmm. it just burn it down one night you'll Mm -hmm. get them pissed anyway Mm -hmm. um no fridging okay um justice right to evoke a sense of justice right justice is about bad people getting lawful consequences right create an injustice reveal a corruption a conspiracy right something that flies in the face of the law something that can be taken down um if you really want to like you know you really want to get people angry like seize property right um somebody like you know i don't know um somebody somebody forecloses your bar on you right hmm. you're a bunch of shadow runners your favorite bar was just foreclosed by a corporation who used some like you know legal loophole to take it away to take it away from the owner um imprison someone good right find someone that the players look up to like a hero throw them in jail uh create a bad law right just create a law that's like meant to you know it's meant for corporate greed or something like that you'll fire up your players Justice is actually a pretty easy one. Um, as things go, most bad guy stuff, um, if players are good, right? If you're playing a game that's remotely good. And again, if you want to test as a side note, if you want to test for how good your players are, give them the goblin baby test. We'll talk about it more at the break if you're not sure what it is. Um, but that's the ultimate test to see if your players are good. Um, anyway. It's a fair test, but go ahead. <laughs> it's a fair. It's It's real. <laughs> Anyway, well, it's real. It doesn't mean it's a fair test, but go ahead. <laughs> all right. The next is community. Um, community is all about sharing and caring. If you want to create a sense of community, you have to do it first by making some NPCs the players get to know. Then have the NPCs either help the PCs or they need help from the PCs. You can have scenes doing things like a festival or other celebration, a way to get some interpersonal stuff going on, tell some stories, um, introduce a bunch of NPCs and see which ones the players uh, kind of gravitate to. You can also threaten the community they're in, but it's a bad cliche. There are times for doing it, but don't make it be your go-to. Um, yeah. And leading questions can help here early on. 
Where are you all meeting for lunch to discuss your mission? Who in the neighborhood is your source for information or gossip? This kind of thing is going to keep them more in invested in the character and will also help them be invested in what they do when they create. So it'll be a lot of fun. Um, I, I feel like that's, I, I, as a player, I always try to find NPCs to kind of latch on to early in the game. So it's something that gets love, me invested very early on. I love community stuff, right? I love, um, Ox is an exception where we're not really playing with a base of operation. Ox is the base of operations, yeah. right? But, but I love, um, I mean, I love games where it's about a neighborhood. It's about a, you know, um, a gang, a ship, something like that. Like, I love that in a game as noted by Hydra hackers, right? Like I absolutely love neighborhoods. Okay. Um, Thing is with, a lot with those. Go ahead. So we've given a lot of potential ideas to throw out scenes where you can, you know, or tips for how to get scenes. that are going to um, create some emotional investment. If a scene doesn't take, don't push it in the moment, right? Throw it out there. If the player doesn't bite, then let it roll like you know let it let it just go by and later on check in with the player and find out why um it might not be that they didn't want to have that emotion they may just not have liked that particular situation like you were going to try to do a thing you know with um in, like say injustice and um you pick you know like the weird uncle and it doesn't click and later on you talk to the player and the player's like eh, I, the uncle's not my favorite like like I could, you know, I could pass on the uncle, you know, when it comes to NPCs and be like, oh, is there a PC that would, you know, is there a PC that would be better, you know, and just be, you know, and be like, oh, absolutely. Like my sister, my sister is my closest NPC in the game. Be like, oh, duly noted. Right. Like, so don't. Um, and I say this because if, if you had previously talked to the player and the player is like, oh, I really want to do a thing about justice. And then you threw out this thing with the uncle and it didn't take the player isn't messing with you. Um, it just might not be that scene was the one that hit, right? Like it doesn't like click with them. So um, come back around on it, right? Like have that talk with the player, figure out what didn't work um, and then work in a future scene um, with something that is going to take. I remember being in a game where the GM tried to create a sense of danger and, and horror with us by having the bad guys are going to burn down the Louvre. And I'm like, okay, so what are other options? Like, but they're going to burn down the loop. I'm like, if they burn, it's just, you know, yeah, but there's people in danger. Let's go help the people. You know, art can be remade. People can't. Let's go. And the GM just couldn't understand, like, didn't get, like, this was supposed to be the big motivating factor. My character had absolutely, like, if I could, I'd stop it. But if the if the building burnt down, it burnt down. It's a building, you know. And, and that was an emotional thing that came in that didn't get the emotions we wanted out of that scene. So absolutely. When we hit mm -hmm. the break, I will uh, I'll tell the McBear story um, <laughs> that's along the same side, the McBear story. Yeah, right. So along the same lines, generating early interest in the game is not something the gym can just make happen. You got you to gotta put things out there that might catch the player's interest and get them to engage. And they might not. But you, that's how you, you got to put it out there. You can't force it. So, Jerry, can you give us some ideas for ways to do this? All right. Uh, generating interest is very similar, except we're not looking to create emotion. We're just looking to get something the player is going to find interesting. So there are lots of ways to go about this, but no surprise. It's a lot easier if you talk to your players first and ask them what kind of things they're going to find interesting. Because from there, you can build scenes around them and hopefully build some engagement. But in case your players aren't apt to tell you things like that directly or don't really know yet right off the bat, here are some ideas for creating some engagement. 
And that's again standard list dis- disclaimer at this point. There's a lot of lists tonight, right? <laughs> yes. Like there's a lot of lists. We should just put the list disclaimer at the top and it applies to all lists for the rest of the show. <laughs> for, um, for, as for always. The yeah, as always, for the rest of the show, for any list in the show, the following applies. Yeah. Um, all right. The first one is like one of the ob- most obvious ones, which is um, you can create engagement by giving the players the things they want or the goals they have, right? Like getting them on the path that you don't have to actually give them the thing. You just have to get them started with it. During session zero, if you were paying good attention as a GM, your players likely talked about some of the things that they want out of the game. Hopefully you actually asked that question at some point, but even if you're just eavesdropping while they're making their characters, they're probably telling you stuff that they want for their character in terms of wants and goals. Um, Even if those goals are big, like kind of like what um, Bob and Jerry were doing in the intro, even if those goals are big, what I know is I need to get the ball rolling on those in the first couple stories. Like I need to bring one of those NPCs around and have an encounter to get that thing rolling. We don't have to resolve that for a whole bunch of sessions after, but I know where I need, like, I know I need to get that thing started. The second is you can mine their background. If your session zero included any kind of background generation at all, either the players wrote them or there was a group activity, you can mine the ideas out of their backgrounds for great, for great ideas. Because their background is a love letter about what they want in the game. And it completes a loop of them putting something out there and then incorporating it as the GM. So when they give something in their background, you use it as a hook immediately to get them tied in. Um, It not only gets them engaged, but also kind of shows the players that, hey, as a GM, you were listening. And this game is going to be about them and their characters and get them right right on that path. Yeah, we hadn't talked about that. We hadn't talked about those loops in a while, but yeah, exactly, right? Like it is, that is a thing that um, will pay off in dividends, right? When a player is like, oh, I said a thing and then a cool thing happened in the game about it, I'll say another thing, right? Like I'm apt to now say another thing. If the GM is just deciding what's fun for you um, week after week and never taking any of your input, you just like a lot of times you will slowly like just be like, well, let's see what they bring out, (laughs) right? Like, so yeah, that loop's super, super important. Uh, the next one is bestow something on them. Give the character something. Um, give the character something weird, right? Um, it could be something like a sword. Uh, it could be a title. Could even be an award. Um, but whatever it is, like when you give the player something, it tends to get their attention. If if, if for only that session or a couple sessions, but it will create some interest. Um, and have it going on. And the thing is, it doesn't have to be permanent. Like one of my favorite, um, and I don't remember, Bob, if we did it with, um, if we did it in our Amber game, I did it in the first Amber game I ran was um, to create some interest. I had um, the son of random was sitting at home and random appeared and gave him the crown. He was like wounded and was like, I got to lay low. So here your king and like gave him the crown and then like trumped out of the like trumped out of the location uh-huh. man like you know there was in gate you know there was interest like <laughs> yep. that player was like say what like yeah you're the king yeah. of amber that wasn't our and game but go- you told us that story and that that yeah. that that had impact i let it go for <laughs> two sessions right like like a session session and a half or something before we wrapped up that storyline and random came back but uh but boy for that moment that player was like say what like boom they were they were there 
Um, and they took it seriously because, you know, as you know, the crown of amber is both a blessing and a curse. So um, it was good stuff. Awesome. And lastly, give them something to love or hate. This goes with emotional investment, but giving the character something, something or someone to hate or love is going to get their attention when they're around. The trick with this one, though, is don't overuse it and know when to let it go. And don't forget, as a good GM, to keep your eye open for the love or hate that grows spontaneously. You're playing a scene, you got some NPCs, and you're planning on giving them a guy that really you want them to hate so that they'll latch onto him. And they latch onto some other dude. <laughs> and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, they hate that guy. It's like, all right, well, guess what? <laughs> there's my there's my guy right Loaded. there. <laughs> yep. Yeah, keep your eyes I've, peeled for the for the spontaneous ones. If if it's not the one that you had planned, take theirs and run with it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mentioned early on that in the very first game of my fusion fantasy game, one of the players decided to start romancing the short story arc villain and kept f- trying to find ways to make them co- to come along that changed the entire scope of the campaign but that became the romance for the rest of the game was <laughs> those two characters not something i planned but once it got latched on to that was the direction to go in um, Run with it. and people liked <laughs> it so mm-hmm. lastly lastly as jerry tried to end the the segment this part of the segment early lastly lastly um you can also give them something to fix uh, players love being helpful in fixing things. Um, it could be an injustice that needs to be corrected. Um, it could be something with an emotional investment. It could be something simple like a ship that crashed and needs repair before it can take off, uh, you know, off on planet. Um, fixing something is just a great way to be helpful. People like to be helpful in, uh, for the most part. If you're playing a remotely good game, um, people will like to help out. It's a pretty easy one. Um, and if you uh, couple it with, you know, give them something to fix and bestow something on them, like a reward, um, you can really, you know, you can really rack up the interest. Yeah. Or as Blake Ryan says in the chat room, you can give them something really small, like stopping crime in Gotham. Yeah. That's a nice little tiny hook. <laughs> Let me just tell you that if Doc Ock possessed Batman, Gotham be a different place. <laughs> Man, Doc Ock would have cleaned up Gotham. But that's another story. All right. <laughs> lastly, lastly, lastly. <laughs> we're on a roll here. Let's There's talk about players. Right we got to talk about players, right? So far, we talked about the GM tossing things out to try and get the players engaged and invested. But we all know it takes two to tango. What can the players do to help out? Yep. What can the players do, right? Um, first of all, players can just actively engage and invest, right? Like, I don't be the player that's like the GM has to wow me before I get into this game. Like you can just, you can just choose to be interested. Yep. Don't yep. sit back and be like, entertain me GM. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can just do that. It's, it's a conscious effort. In fact, it's being a good player. Um, but the first thing you should do um, and no surprise here, right. Openly communicate the things you want uh, to your GM, right. Tell them what you want out of this game. Like, Hey, I'm playing this game. Because I'm playing cartel because I really want to be, um, I really want to be a family man who's got you know like I want to do the Breaking Bad thing. I want to be a family man, but I'm also like a terrible human being, 
Like, cool. Let's like, cool. Let's get into exploring that. Right. Let's take, you know, let's go to the father, let's go to the father and daughter dance, you know, with a guy stuffed in your trunk. Right. Like, let's do those things. Um, I literally just made that up off the top of my head. I'm starting to worry about myself. Anyway, um, tell them the things you want to do. You want to see in the game. Tell them the things you want to achieve, even if it's the long term goals. Right. Especially if it's the long term goals. I, as a GM, am happy to put in things that you want to see in the game. If you just tell me. Right. Like, just tell me up front. I'll do it. I want you to be engaged and invested. Right. Don't make the GM guess this. Even if it's all in your background or in your character gen or in your backstory, tell the GM directly what you're interested in. They're busy. They're not going to remember every detail. Um, Don't be afraid to remind the GM, hey, you know, I'm still looking for this or that and go for it. Mm -hmm. So here's a couple other things the players can do. Right. Buy into the premise of the game. Yeah. Right. If your game is about super geniuses preventing disasters, i.e. our aux game, make a character that wants to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. If you make a character that doesn't want to do that, um, we, the rest of the table, GM and players, have to drag you into every session, which is not fun for everybody. No. Um, I will often, I will say this. If you do not buy into the premise of the game, it is often a passive aggressive attempt to, to, uh, to show your displeasure for a particular game. Um, I can think of a few cases in Bob's in my past where a player was, um, very much like this. Um, your job is to buy into the premise of the game or don't play the game. Um, if you're not into it, I doubt you're going to be able to fake any kind of long-term engagement. So maybe just don't play this game. Yep. Next, figure out some early character goals. And this is always my stumbling block in session zero. As you create your character, give them a short-term goal. Something they've wanted before you embody the character. This goal can be simple, like find treasure, be famous, uh, but just give them enough to get started so that you can give your GM something to work with and then tell them what it is. This initial goal can be starts you off in the campaign and it can change over time. It can simply be a starting for your, for your character. You know, all I really want to do is get these parts from Tashi Station and get off planet. Um, did not I can intend work with to, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> did not intend to actually you know, bring about the downfall of the Empire. But you can go that way. Give them some sort of goal to start with. I mean, he did get to go off planet. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> that he was the, get the ta- he never did get the Tashi Station though. Not till later on Twitter. If you see the yes, picture, yeah. Yes, I have. <laughs> um, okay. The next one is um, talk about your own wants for the game. You as the player, right? You as the player actually have wants for this game, like mm-hmm. things that you want to do. Um, and you get to express those things, right? Perhaps you want, like, at some point in the game, you want a mass combat, right? Like, big Helm's Deep thing. Um, or maybe you really, like, the thing that really drew you to this game was, like, I'm super digging the um, Starship Combat rules. You know, please tell me we're going to be doing some Starship Combat. Um, or maybe you're the kind of person who, you know, much like if you're a fan of, like, Zelda. Not Zelda. Sorry. If you're a fan of Xena, maybe you want the occasional silly adventure, Right. Every like every few adventures is just like kind of ridiculous. Um, so your wants can be really specific or they can be really abstract, but you probably want something. If you really think about it, you probably want some things out of this game. When you heard what game you were playing, you started to kind of think of those things. Tell, tell somebody. Yep. Lastly, accept some hooks when they present themselves. 
We talk about this all the time, but when the GM puts something out there and it's close to what you wanted, take that hook. The GM is doing a lot, so don't make them work too hard for your engagement. And if you have a really good reason that you're not gonna take that hook, tell the GM flat out why you're not taking that hook. Um, and they, they can easily make that change. But don't make them guess and don't make them struggle if the hook's out there and you can take it. Uh, as the queen says, take the bait with six A's. Yes. You never know. If you if you communicate why you don't want it, why your character isn't going to take that bait, it may be that there's just a misunderstanding in interpretation. Mm-hmm. And like the GM is like, no, no, no. It's X, not Y. Oh, yep. well, that makes a hell of a lot more. So, oh, yeah. My character would totally be into that. Like, yeah. you know, you well, communicate, talk to each other. So, Bob, if you remember our opening for iHunt, um, we did the um, pilot episode, right? The all narrative mm-hmm. episode. And um, Tony wanted to go negotiate with the werewolf, yes. right? Instead of killing it. And I'm like, I was like, Tony, like really quick. Are you, are you doing this because this is going to be like a narrative lesson that your character learns about why we can't negotiate with monsters? Because this game is about monster killing, right? Like yep. it's about monster hunting in the gig economy, like not monster negotiation. Like, and he was like, no, no, he like, this is how he learns his lesson. And I was like, okay, perfect. As long as we're yeah, we still on the that. premise of the game <laughs> and you seem to be taking this hook, you just want to throw a curve in it. Cool. I'm very okay with this. Let's play on. But if, if Tony had been like, no, I, I don't think we should have to kill monsters we would have had to like hit the pause button. Yeah. Right. We'd had to like stop and been like, we're not taking the hook. We need to have a greater talk about what's going on in this game. So cool. Cool. All right. right. That is our look at engagement and emotional investment. We are going to take a quick break. I'm going to tell you the McBear story in a second, check in with the chat room first. Um, But Bob, you need to tell us about a show on the misdirected Mark network in order to get us from here. Uh, Yes. It's, it's, it's a, it's a chain of events that has to be followed. Otherwise the podcast gods will strike us down with righteousness and furious anger. Uh, So I'm going to tell you about the gnome cast because this show is good. If you don't want listen to the gnome cast, you have to check out the gnome cast. Several gnomes from gnomes do get together to talk about gaming topics and themselves in an effort to entertain you. That's the important part. Entertain you. And, of course, to be, avoid being thrown into the stew pot. Um, occasionally, they have some guest stars, which is also fun. Um, entertaining show. There is one particular show that actually includes me. If you find that show, <laughs> you win a prize. And that prize is you got to listen to me on the Gnomecast. <laughs> a, a, a true treasure. True a treasure. true treasure. Bob all right, we're going to listen to the story from Phil, and then I'm going to hit the chat room. <laughs> yeah, all right. The Mc, the McBear story is um, um, the McBear story is that when I was early on, when uh, I was a youngin running uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, I did this um, mutant animals take uh, high school students hostage. Um, ironically, it turns out the floor plan for the high school was the same one as my high school. This is what you get when you're when you're in ninth grade making up stories, yes. right? So mutant animals take over high school. Mute, the uh, player characters who are also mutant animals have to liberate the high school. So had this one character. Um, I had run this scenario a few times. I was playing with this one group that wasn't my normal group. And this guy had this um, um, bear that was that was created by the U.S. Army. Had this like machine gun on its back and it like walked on all fours. 
uh, most of the time, but, you know, could stand up and had partial bipedal, if you know TMNT. Anyway, yeah. um, I was trying to, you know, evoke some emotion. I was like, I was like, you know, they have the hostages. They've moved them to the cafeteria um, and they've fortified the building and they're threatening to kill one hostage an hour. What do you guys do? And the player who's playing McBear is like, how many hostages are there? And I'm like, 120. He's like, well, we have plenty of time. <laughs> 120, and I was like, one per hour. Oh, yeah, we, we got. Yeah, we got plenty. no need to rush. We have time to plan. Now, granted, I think he was partially joking. I'm not sure. But they actually did save all the hostages. No one got killed. But but it was but as a moment for a moment as a GM, I was like, oh. I'm threatening to kill a hostage an hour. Like I've, I'm raising, like I'm raising the stakes and this guy's like, we got plenty of time. And I'm like, yeah, five days. Yeah, so exactly. that group actually rescued them. <laughs> They'll get tired. <laughs> because there was another group that had the same scenario and they did not rescue them. <laughs> uh, that was a geometry problem. That was, yes, um, that was, that was a geometry <laughs> problem. And in my less good GMing days. I'll tell that story too. Same scenario. Um, the player was going to use a, a grenade arrow, like a arrow with like like Dukes mm-hmm. of Hazard, right? Like mm-hmm. um, was going to use a um, grenade arrow to blow open the door so everyone could rush in. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. Um, what? How are you shooting this thing? Right? It has a radius of of fifty feet. And so the person's like, I'm shooting it right at the door. And I'm like, okay. It has a radius of 50 feet, as in it will also explode 50 feet into the cafeteria if you hit the doors with it. Um, And none of that geometry got through to the player. And I should have just said to the player, when this arrow hits, it's going to blow into the door and blow into like, you know, 50 feet of the room and kill a bunch of people. But I didn't. I just was like radius, right? Like they clearly didn't get it. And then yes. They set it off, murdered a bunch of students, um, and eventually had to run away from the police. It was a, it is a very high school. Um, it was a very high school adventure, and I was a very bad. Um, <laughs> I was not a good GM in those days. Communication like, I was, was not, not a strong suit at that point. Yeah. I was of the mindset that like players know what they're doing when they say yeah, it, clearly. like they're doing it. And I tried to give him an out by saying, like, are you sure? 50 foot radius, right? I, like, show me on the map. Where do you want to put the center yeah. of the explosion? And then I was like, okay. Nowadays, I wouldn't do anything. Like, like nowadays, I would be like, you understand that like, this, if I had said that, the player would have been like, oh, no, correct. I would like to put the, yeah. I will put the explosion 50 feet back so that the edge of the explosion clips the yeah. doors and blows them in. Yeah. I'm bad, still marveling bad, bad. at the fact that you said grenade arrow, you know, like Dukes of Hazard. When we <laughs> all just watched technically, Hawkeye. Technically, those are dynamite arrows. I mean, technically, yeah. those were dynamite arrows, right? Yeah. Still, I mean, you know, with Hawkeye fresh in mind, you didn't go to the 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 archer of, you know. Here's the problem, right? I was thinking back to the 80s yep, when that's... I was giving my reference. I went with mm-hmm. the reference that Clearly, was closest if you're, if to you're the you're talking about arrows in the 80s, you know, unless you were a super big comic book nerd at the time, Dukes of Hazard probably a good guess. I would like to yeah. hazard what the bonus, what the penalties are for hanging out of a fast moving car on a dirt road and firing an unbalanced dynamite arrow at a specific target is because them Duke boys had some had some shooting skill. 
Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm still I'm I'm aghast that the slight the chat room hasn't called us out on my marveling comment in your hazard a guess. <laughs> because both of those should punny. have raised some eyebrows. But we are we are punny tonight. To get back on topic, let me go to a couple of things from Blake Ryan Batman, who has joined us in the chat room tonight, and it's great to have him in. Um, when we were talking the about world, it's yeah. Blake summer right now. Yes, it is. So back when we were talking about, um, you you can't tell a character how they feel if the if the the princess is supposed to be gorgeous and they're supposed to be smitten by her. Like you can't. That's that's not. But he did make a good point. If you do have magic, for example, and there's charm, fear, or confusion effect, then the player does not get free reign to decide how they feel. That kind of trumps what their what their normal response would be, and that's a fair point. Um, but if 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 it's the if it's open to the player's choice, you do not get to tell them uh, how they feel. I, I will say, I will just say that as a personal preference, um, I, oh, as just as send us the same thing, I hate those yeah. spells, right? Yeah. I will yeah, almost never, I will almost never use one of those spells in a game um, because of the, um, because of the agency and consent issues. Like it is a, it is a consent and agency minefield. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know if you remember, um, I, we were playing D and D, and my GM PC got hit with prismatic spray, and then was like, "Now needs to murder everybody else in the party because he got confused or whatever." Like I hated that moment in the game. Like I was not like, "Oh, like look, a game changer! Like Core is going to try to murder everybody." Like it was like, "This is awful." Like what if I hit one of you? Yeah. Like, yeah, I really. Um, I just I don't know those kinds of spells give me icky feelings. I don't like I I hate charm like flat yeah, out like yeah. fear is one thing. If I hit you with fear and make you run away, right? Like that's cool. Like that's like that's like I can live with that ability. But charm is like the icky one for me. Like I just yeah. I I don't like charm. I don't like when players use it on NPCs. I don't like when NPCs use it on players. Like I don't I just don't like it. Yep. Totally I just fair. state that those, for the record. It's, it's one of those things where you've got to be careful with it and you've got to. Um, you simply gotta let the players know this is gonna be a spell. How do you want to deal with it? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, the villain's about to use confusion on you or compel. What's that gonna look like, and what would your character do in that situation? You know, because then if you've got a player who who likes to role play, they might role play the difficulty of of being compelled to do something and not do anything that's too detrimental to the party, but is good for the story. But you don't just make them turn around and stab somebody. Yeah. You, you remember know, the thing. Do you remember how DCC dealt with it in the um in the oh what was that adventure? The one with the many eyes. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, so, that was an interesting way to handle it. So they so they had the thing where um, oh, yeah. if you failed yeah. your saving throw, um you the player got to pick one either what you attacked or where you moved, and the GM got to pick the other. And yep. so yep. like you could be like, cool, I, I'm in control of move. And then GM be like, cool, I'm in control of attack. And you'd be like, cool, I run away from everybody. Right? It's like, well, I guess I just swing at the air. Yeah. Right? Like, it was, it was a fun way to do it. Like, you know, it was, it was, it was just, it was a cool, it was a cool little, um, it was a cool little nod to like, hey, you're going to lose some agency here, but we're going to give you enough agency that like, 
you're not going to wipe out your zero level friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you get to and you get to have some choice in the matter because that's the other thing that that we always talk about, which is when you take the choice away from the player from the player, then they're not really playing their character anymore. No, you're that's playing. That's as much fun. Yep, <laughs> yep, that's exactly it. Yep, that's why I'm also not a big fan of spells like hold person or any any spell that simply makes the character skip their turn. Oh, yes. Yep. Yeah. And, and like, those are bad. For, suck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I've, you were I've very that. cool, but you're going to be held for the rest of this combat. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Enjoy. Yep. We've seen that. Oh, yep. it's worse. All right. Yep. Back into the uh, into the uh, the oh, the I, thing didn't here. Blake have another question? Blake has a question, and it's a good one. How do you yeah. hook players that insist on character development through an emergent play? Yeah. So I think like I think that you go to go back to our toolbox. Right. This is where you start with what does the player want. Yep. Um, what are like, what does the player want out of the game? Cause I can start with that and then we can work on, we can work on who your character is through some development. And in fact, it's probably the first thing you want for your character is to do some emerging emergent background stuff. So then I'm going to hit you, right? So one, I'm going to hit you early on with something that you want to do in the game. Like we like to go get treasure. Cool. I'm going to put you on the path to go get some treasure. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to hit you with a leading question, which is uh, when you go into the bar, uh, you spot somebody from your village uh, who has a grudge with you. Who are they and what is that grudge? Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. And and so that case now um, I've given the player the other thing that they're going to be interested in, which is building their background. Yep. yep. Um, and And left that question wide open enough that it doesn't have to be a fight. They could be like, oh, that's so-and-so. And I had a grudge with them, but honestly, like I grew out of it. Like, I think I'm going to go over and tell them that. Yeah. Or it was right? one of or, those friendly grudges, you know? Yeah. Like a, a it's a friendly grudge, friendly it's, grudge, you know, or but maybe that, it's not, maybe they're going to walk over and stick a knife in them. Like yeah. whatever, like it's open, Let it like, it's open play to, like they want. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're telling me that you want it, like if you're telling me that you want emergent background, that's actually the first thing you're telling me about the game. I'm just going to make some opportunities for you to tell me things about your background through play. I'm not going to just make opportunities. We hit session one. We sit down at the table and I've got that player. That's the first player I open the story with. I go, hey, Timmy, you're sitting at the bar and you see that person from your village. They've got a grudge with you. Who are they? And what was the like? That's the first thing I do. I'm going to get that character in right out of the gate. When all else fails, leading questions are the way to start. Yep. Because players will toss all sorts of stuff at you. Um, I, I I love it for for getting people back into a story when they've been out of it for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we had one in a Star Wars game where the, one of the players had missed a couple sessions. And because of that, because the players were in the middle of something, while they were in the storyline, they hadn't had a chance to interact. And so they saw a bunch of bounty hunters walking by. And he was following somebody, and I said, okay, you see the bounty hunters for the first time, and you recognize one of them. Who do you recognize in the bounty hunter group? And without missing a beat, the player says, what is my brother doing running a bounty hunting group? I'm like, well, <laughs> nice. there's a big, that, that, there's a whole bunch of stuff right in there. I'm like. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that, a, that that's a whole <laughs> multiple sessions worth of material right there in that one sentence. Yep. <laughs> and, and and they're right back in the game again. So yep. um 
but yeah, it works really well. I like that kind of thing. I think that uh, leading questions are going to be the best way to start. So, yeah. all right, and to wrap up the uh, the chat room portion of this segment, um, for more discussion on uh, feelings about mind altering spells, check out Pandas Talking Games episode one ninety four. Phil and Senda had a, uh, a, a, a an in-depth discussion about how they feel about those kind of things. Good stuff. Yeah. Hey, um, can I um, drop out for a few moments and let you guys jump into the yeah. roundtable for a bit? Yeah, I'll absolutely. Rejoin you, I'll rejoin you in a little bit. You guys good to just no uh, problem. Pilot, pilot the show for me for a little bit? No, no problem. Just said yeah, something yeah. come up. I got to just take care of. Yeah, yeah. Dude, listen. Let, okay. Real life takes precedence. Go for yep. it. No worries. Yep. All right. Go ahead. Start on without me. I'll be back well, in a I'll, moment. I'll jump in with one little quick thing that we put in the after show later on. So go ahead. Um, I've talked about the pirate story a couple times. We had a GM running a game and kept throwing this kind of uh, Captain Jack Sparrow pirate type character um, as a, trying to introduce him to the party over and over again to the point where he was trying to forcibly seduce one of the female characters was constantly trying to drink up with them with with some of the characters and while we all recognized it as a hook some of the players just did not like the character while others just didn't like pirates and we eventually had to tell the gm that like like none of us like this character we don't have any idea where you're going with this character we don't know why he's coming on he hasn't actually given us any like plot hooks he's just been trying to insinuate us into our group um nothing he's done would would get so whatever hook you've got for him literally like whatever you want him to do he's not the one to get it to us or he needs to tell us right yeah. off the bat what he wants and yeah, it's turn not the GM, <laughs> yeah was that yeah it's not working and uh uh things went badly from that point on for the party but um it, it's that thing where you need to tell the gm like like i can tell there's something that you want this character to do they're robbing us all the wrong way or at least robbing me and this person or me you know um something has to go differently here yep and um Absolutely. i've Again, also been in a game with a rom- i've also been in a game that was supposed to be a romance based game and the character that was very obviously supposed to be a romantic hook for my character had all these traits my character couldn't stand and <laughs> i kind of made it like like this is the kind of character that i am and this, and this character was was not that and there would be no there was there was a little bit of friendship there. But there was absolutely no chemistry whatsoever. But the GM kept putting them in that situation because that was the character they thought would be a good romantic hook for me, and never asked me until I finally said, "I'm like, I don't know if this character is trying to flirt with me, but my character is going to try to very politely say that they're in no way interested whatsoever in a romantic interest in, in, interlude with this character." I saw the GM's face drop a little bit, but. It doesn't, you've got to have, that's where the spark mechanic would have worked very well, you know? Oh, yeah. So, so, all right. As a GM, if you, if you're trying something like that, like I'm going to try and, and, and and get this, this character, this NPC Mm -hmm. into the party or, or try, you know, like uh, seducing this other character, whatever, try it and it doesn't work. And you maybe go back and you try it again and it doesn't work again. Don't beat a dead horse. Like if it's not working, change gears. Yep. Change gears or, have a conversation like, hey, I'm trying to get this thing to go. Why is it not like, why aren't you guys biting on it? I'm like, what's yep. wrong with this? So that the play, you know, it, it don't wait for the, the players to come to you and say something because they might not. You never know. But if it's not working, don't keep repeatedly hammering at that nail. You know, try yep. it once, maybe try it twice. If, if the second time doesn't go, 
change gears and try something else. So, yeah. Don't be afraid to ask the players. Like, yeah. you know, um, it seems like you guys aren't, aren't, uh, aren't interested in this character. Is there a reason why? Mm-hmm. And they might tell you what's going on, you know, Oh, we don't, you know, we don't like this. We don't like that. You know, he's a creeper, whatever. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> whatever comes up. There you go. So, all right. All right. Okay. Well, let's fire up the uh, the round table. We'll uh, we'll do sure. our parts, and uh, and if we get Phil back, we'll, uh, we'll 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 handle it. Otherwise, we'll you know we can we can run through his stuff for him. But um, mm-hmm. question number one is going to be: as a GM, what are some of your go to or favorite ways to create early engagement? I love in media res. Ask a few questions, get them to talk a little bit about their characters for a few seconds. You know, give us a blurb. How do you guys know each other? Um, and then just toss them into a light encounter. It doesn't have to be combat. It just needs to be an encounter where something's happening immediately. Um, you know, it can be a fight. It can be um, a sinking ship. It can be a romantic encounter. It can be an immediate um, interview with the Duke, whatever. But get them right into something where they're going to be interacting with each other and throwing some dice around. Because this lets them flex the muscles of the system itself. Because a lot of players, especially if you're playing a new game, they're eager to see what happens. So design an encounter early on that the players can do without having to engage all the detailed mechanics, something simple. That's why a fight often works best. Um, and then engage them with a few NPCs. Um, I did this when I, I have a, a con game that I run that's a Barbarian of the Maria game. And it starts out with the heroes on a ship returning back from a successful adventure. And something happens and the boat starts sinking. And the first question I asked them after we go through the introductions is, now that the boat's breaking apart and sinking, do you grab resources or do you try to save someone? And if so, whom? And the players will have a chance to make some choices, to roll to grab some things. If they save someone, that someone is going to be a, a hook for later on. Because um, if I ask them whom, then they have a chance to talk about what NPC they want to save. You know, yeah. well, I really liked the, the bosun's mate, and we talked about this or that. It might have even been a brief thing that, that happened for two minutes at the beginning of the game, but gets them right into the thing. Um, when I used to run a lot more fantasy games, I used to always have the Farmer Bob encounter. The players were always on their way to town, and they took a job on a cart, protecting it from bandits, and they were with Farmer Bob. And they could ask Farmer Bob a couple of quick questions, and he would give them some insight into the campaign world if they had any quick questions. And then somebody always attacked the wagon and the players would easily mop up whoever attacked the wagon, but it gave them a chance to see how cool their characters were. Um, talk to farmer Bob and maybe Bob's family um, and just kind of get things going. And that's Bob B-A-H-B most of the time, because I don't like traditional names in my games. Bad. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, just do all that sort of thing. So that's, that's what I did when I like the GMs. get something happening immediately. Don't spend 20 minutes kind of wandering the town, showing them what's going on, unless that's really what they want to do, which I've had that happen too. Yeah. So for me, I would, um, it would vary for me, depending on the situation. Um, some of the things that we've already discussed, like if you've got that character who, um, who likes to do their development emergent through play, um, then the first thing I do is I'm going to hit that character with something and get them going and then start moving the spotlight around. Um, if, uh, like you said, if you're playing a new system, then doing something really quick to get into the mechanics of the game is a really good way to, especially if, like if it, like you said, if it's new and you have any kind of, of, of questions in your minds about like, how is this going to go? Let's hit that real quick 
and get some kind of, 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 of engagement with the core loop or whatever um, and get that out of the way so that we've all got a feeling. Um, because it may be one of those things where like, we're sure we're going to enjoy it. We're just, we haven't, we haven't done it yet. Um, and you get, you answer that question right out of the gate. Boom, mm -hmm. done. No more question. Um, so that'd be the kind of things that I would do. Um, yeah. You want to read good Phil's time part? To... Sorry, go ahead. You want to read Phil's part? Sure. Phil had background mining. The more you understand the characters of the character gen, the more you can put out early hooks. Um, Amber has their 20 questions. Um, Ox, we had character generation. And for our game, because we were building it, our character generation dealt with a lot of background mining. Um, we started by um, each of us designed just a planet. This is the planet. This is the ecosystem. And this is what's special about that planet. And then we shuffled the planet cards and handed them back to everybody so nobody got the same planet. And now we each developed a species for that planet, a predominant sentient species for that planet. And the, the interesting things about that. Um, and then when we did our uh, Ox character generation, there were six stages we went to where we talked about um, where we were in that stage of our, of our uh, life cycle. You know, what was it like growing up? What was it like in school? Because this is a genius game. It was how we were, how we were referred to. You know, what happened when we left school? What was our first major achievement? Um, who did we interact with? What happened? And with each of those, we had to answer a couple simple questions that by the end of it, we had a fairly good idea of what our character's very basic background was, a couple of key NPCs or organizations that the GM could, could pull on, and also part of doing it together as a group was that we crisscrossed, that this character's organization was the one that either helped or hindered another character in a situation and that kind of thing. So we had some interconnectivity. Um, all of that meant that when the game started, there was no question as to um, did we know each other or mm -hmm. what was our background? Why are we together? Any of that stuff. It was, we already established that in the background. This is why we're an adventuring team. This is what we're doing. And this is why we're together. And then to go back to Phil, to go back to mine, Phil tossed it into the middle of a major uh, disaster where um, we were literally trying to uh, stop the collapse of a solar array, more or less. Um, and we had six minutes to do it. Um, so yeah. once again, we were right back in, pushing on the mechanics, but also interacting with each other, role-playing, talking to NPCs, that sort of thing. Um, did a good job of setting the stage uh, with the way the game went, um, especially since um, because our characters are supposed to be not just geniuses, but reasonably famous geniuses, especially among our peers. Phil did a good job of reinforcing the fact that the people that we were there with were a little skeptical about if we could do it, but also at the same time in awe of the things that we were doing, mm -hmm. um, despite, despite my dice rolling. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to elaborate been... a little bit more, um, the, the, the part that Jerry was talking about in, uh, in the background character generation uh, with the different stages of our lives, that's actually a subsystem in the Cortex Prime game um, called Pathways, where you basically uh, you build a grid and you create a certain number, varying depending on how you want to fill it out, a varying number of stages. We decided to have, uh, what, six of them? Five of them? Yeah. And, uh, and then they represent different things. And then you go through and there's, there's prompts in there to help you, um, you know, 
figure out what each what each stage is going to be doing and, and what's going on with your character. So it's a very cool way to, to, to do the interconnectivity and at the same time populate the game world with events and NPCs and and different things like that. So it was very, very, very well uh, well put together uh, and and fun. Um, and so we were we were definitely engaged. <laughs> through I, that. I, I was I was always a fan of Artel Sorian Games Life Path, which you had in Cyberpunk and Mechton and things like that, where you had um, important events in the character's life and you rolled on tables to see what happened. Of course, these days we just we, we picked ours for the most part um, as we went through. Um, and if you're stuck on what to do for that sort of thing, there is a, I believe it's now just, I'm thinking about even being on drive through these days. Um, Janelle Jackways had a book called Central Casting that was an amazing book for generating uh-huh. backgrounds for characters. There's one for fantasy, one for modern, one for future. And I believe that they are redoing it. They're doing a new, mo- a new version for today's games. Cool. Um, and with all of those sorts of things, if you're ever going to use a random background generator, uh, if you're the GM, be ready to simply say yes, no, you know, we're going to ignore that, re-roll it. If you get something that either doesn't fit your setting um, or the player isn't happy with, just re-roll it. Don't yeah. ever be a slave to those dice on those tables. You're creating a background yeah. for a character. Use them as stepping stones yep. um, and go use from there. Use inspiration and, uh, to, to take it off yep. to the side a little bit, tweak it, whatever. And if you're a player, when all else fails, table source it. If you get yeah. stuck on something, feel free to ask the other players. They will often love to jump back in and help you out. And oftentimes they'll tie the, they'll tie things in together, which is even more fun. You know, um, you know, maybe, maybe my character, uh, I have a backstory where my character um, was involved in something and there was a cave in and I had to figure out how to get out of it. And Bob's not sure what to do. And, and we said, well, you know, maybe you were the one who got us out of the cave in. That's how we met. You were on the same thing. And you're the one who, you know, cause it, it's, if you're that player table sourcing, always put the focus back on the player who's asking the question so they get to be the hero of it and tie them together. It gives a good reason for why your, why your characters are friends. Mm-hmm. Um, because in 99% of the games out there, the teams work better if the, if the characters are friends and not just a bunch of random idiots tossed together for no reason. Um, most games, some games. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, it, it, so. Continuing kind of down the, 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 um, uh, the, the tangent that we're on slightly um, for me, something that engages me and, and gives me um, um, interest and in stuff like that. Um, when I'm doing backgrounds for, uh, for a character during character gen, um, it's that old, uh, that old chestnut of um, analysis paralysis. If you've got a blank box, you got nothing to work with and you're like, uh, what do I want this to be? What do I, you know, what do I want to do here? If you put a couple of constraints in or give something like pathways where you've got a little guide of, of where to go or 20 questions, anything that gives me something to riff off of or a trigger or something to do inspiration, anything like that gives me way better, uh, uh, interest in the character that I'm creating um, as as something that I want to play, which then, of course, just boosts the engagement and the interest in, in playing the actual game itself. So, if it's something like uh, something like uh, uh, a character creation, that if you if you go in with some kind of little 
little list of things to spark in whatever form it is, whether it be random generators or whatever. Um, I love that stuff because it, it helps me build a character that I'm interested in. And of course it gives you hooks and stuff for, um, for story material down the road too. So really, I'll give, I'll give two more hooks for GMs to use if they get in that situation and you get a player who's got analysis paralysis um, the first are obviously the back the backstory cards are always amazing. Mm-hmm. Just have a player grab a backstory card, you know, draw three, pick one. It's, I'm always a big fan. If you're going to give players something like that, let them draw a couple and pick the one that fits their character. They might suddenly get one. Oh, I like this idea. You know, I met somebody while we were trying to perform a heist or whatever. Um, go with that. The other thing is from the old um, Everway role playing game, you had they had just a bunch of cards. A lot of it was. Hildebrandt artwork and cover art from Yes albums and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. um, the idea was that you picked a bunch of them and then told the GM how these fit into your character background. Like, you know, oh, like, here's a picture of a bunch of people at a bazaar with a dragon. You know, that was my uncle's dragon, and he let me ride around on it when I was a kid. And I really liked taking around with dragons, whatever, something like that, whatever. But get some artwork, whatever. If you've got, if you're doing a game and you've got some artwork that you as a GM, were inspired by for that game print a little bit of it out and just put it on the table so players can look at stuff if you've got players that have trouble picking things you know hey well pick something on here is anything on here that kind of sparks your oh that's a really cool looking car i i had that car as a kid do you still have that car now um yeah i do how'd you fix it up you know oh, and now you've gone back to the thing phil mm-hmm. talked about which was giving the player something now they've got this cool car it's their cool car they're gonna you know build on it you know you know, how did it get damaged and how did you end up inheriting it? You know, that kind of stuff. Now you've got another backstory hook that they can build on. Um, you're putting constraints or you're putting putting extra additions on. Um, I could do a whole other session on backstory, but we'll keep we'll move on. <laughs> yeah. All right. All why right. don't you uh, fire up question number two? Question two. As a player, what can the GM do to get you engaged early on in the game? Yeah, for me, um, when I sit down at the table... Um, it would help me. I enjoy it if the, uh, if the GM gets the spotlight on each character as quickly as possible. Like, like don't spend a huge ton of time on one character before you move on to the next one at the beginning. If you get deeper into the game and then you have, you know, a a scenario where you've got a reason to be on one character for, you know, five, six, 10 minutes, whatever, that's one thing. But when you're first starting out, and you want to get everybody into this new game that you're playing, hit each character in turn, get yep. something going, ask them a question, whatever, and get around the table. Because the longer you linger on one person, if there's one, like whoever's last is going to be sitting there waiting to get engaged in this game, right? So <laughs> hit each player, each character as quickly as you can, get something and get them into the game so that you can get that out of the way and then start, you know, filling in with other tricks and, and things that we've, uh, that we've tipped on because no, nobody wants to sit there as the last person called and be like, do, 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 do. When's it going to be my turn? You just spent like 10 minutes on this guy. Like <laughs> yep, that is not engagement. <laughs> that is the opposite of engagement. How do you and, feel and I'm gonna, As a segue into the next thing coming in, as a segue to that, um, if you are the player and the GM is spending an inordinate amount of time on you, bring in the other characters. Yes. 
if, if something's going on that's important and you have to stay on your character's thing, drag the other characters in. You know, wait Absolutely. for anybody further. I'm going to call up Bob's character and have him come in there because I think he can help me figure out this problem too. You know, get them in. Bring that to. First of all, it's always more fun to interact with each other as opposed to just having to interact with the GM. Yep. Interacting with the players always works better. And if you get them in as quickly as possible, then the game's going to roll around faster. So perfect. I, I, there's a theme here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, my, my suggestion to the GM is. Um, kind of twofold first show us some of the mechanics and introduce us to some npcs right out of the gate if you introduce us to a bunch of npcs um especially if some leading questions so that the players get to kind of influence who the npcs are we're going to be invested really early on um if we get to pick up some dice and roll them and see how things work and see how the game works and makes us feel confident in the game that's good as well and with that in mind this is not the time to challenge the player characters too hard give them easy tasks to accomplish um you know if you're if you're running up a D game you know don't toss them up against an army of bugbears on round one you know have some 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 kobolds or bandits come in or you know have, if it's a heist game have them pull off an easy heist that they can do but give them something to do make them feel competent because i'll tell you nothing's going to crush the players enthusiasm like getting into a new game and feeling like they can't accomplish the goals they're trying to accomplish. Oh, absolutely. Now, if, it, now, if it's just a dice thing, uh, which <laughs> happened this weekend where the GM kept rolling super well and the players kept rolling mediocre, that's okay because we would have succeeded if we'd rolled normally. But yeah, don't crush the players. Be conscious of not crushing the players' enthusiasm right off the bat. Yeah. Give them a little bit of a challenge, but show how, wow, isn't it cool the thing we just did? You know, it's a car chase and we just, you know, we just jumped a bridge, you know, and the people chasing us didn't, you know, whatever. Go along that way. Get get involved there. (laughs) Back to the Dukes of Hazard. Yes. Go back to the Dukes of Hazard again. Actually, you know what? Dukes of Hazard, not something I want to reference as a positive thing for the show. We'll just we'll just leave that out. (laughs) It has a team. A team. How about a team? A team. A team. Oh, the Frank roll. How many cars well, crashed and no one ever got hurt? Yes. Uh, that's G.I. Joe. Uh, uh, G.I. Joe was right. animated. So, I mean, you know, they, they did that purposefully. But, oh, yeah. man. Yeah, but I was, I was, I was, I, 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 I saw anime at an early age. So I saw people get killed on screen. So it was a different thing. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, that'd be a little different. All right. Yeah, once Roy Fulker gets shot in the back, you, nothing's the same on that show. So, uh, it's Robotech. All right. Why don't you read let Phil's suggestions? Through, uh, let me run through Phil's uh, thing here real, real quick. Phil would prefer uh, that the GM give him something that makes him shine. All right. So get that good spotlight moment. Let me do something cool. Um, show off my skills, whatever. Um, and like you said, it, it, give him that moment to be awesome. Because the, the worst thing for engagement in the beginning of a, of a first session of a game is to fail miserably right out of the gate. So you throw him a softball over the plate. <laughs> He'll lob one out there and let him hit the home run. Um, you know, a problem that uh, that the character's skills or power set are perfect for is a good example um, because you want to feel competent and useful. You kind of hit on some of that. If you if you don't feel competent coming out of the gate, then it's gonna it's gonna put a spike in everything. Um, Afterwards, if you have a setback or a failure, 
no big whoop. I mean, we had session two of Ox. There were a there were a bunch of failed rolls, and it was like, yeah, you know, we were still making progress, and we still, you know, ended up solving the problem in the end. But you know, there was like you said, Phil was rolling huge numbers for our difficulties, and we were not rolling the same numbers <laughs> for our attempts. So it wasn't quite working uh, for a stretch there, but it's uh, it's relative. We weren't we weren't in that first opening sequence of session one, so you know you gotta you gotta start out and let the characters be awesome at the at the get go. So all I, right, I you you mentioned that I'm just gonna quickly jump into uh, yes the, the idea of what happens when you end up in a game where you don't feel confident. Um, I've talked before about playtesting the new Torg role-playing game. And both times, the the players just aren't good at anything. And, you know, your your best chance of succeeding is like 49% with your best skill. And as a result, in the opening scene, um, when the players, like, somebody fell in the water, and it took, like, all of us together to help them get out alive, so that when an NPC fell in the water, the players were just like, well... Sucks to be you when we walked away and then spent the rest of the game avoiding combat, avoiding encounters, avoiding anything where we would have a dice roll that could be dangerous because mm. we didn't feel confident. As a result, there was no engagement in that game. All the players assumed that we were all going to die by the end. We had no engagement with the rule. None of us wanted to use the rules. None of us wanted to That's talk to you. Like, brutal. NPCs, NPCs would pop up and we avoided them because they looked like they could be dangerous. Like, here's a guy with a machete. Well, we don't have a machete. We're not going near him, you know. And as a result, in both scenarios that were run, the other one was a different scenario. The same thing happened. Um, The players just got to the point where the player character group, by about an hour into the game, were not engaged or excited about anything. It was basically, what do we need to do to survive this? And I don't think that game was designed to be brutal apocalypse survival game. I think it's supposed to be like your characters are almost like superheroes kind of thing, but nobody Doesn't felt that like way it. because the, no, no. And, and it's, it's that kind of, so when you hand up with that kind of thing, and if you start to see that happening in your game, stop it immediately and figure out what's wrong. Um, yeah. And because otherwise you're going to lose that engagement. So, all right. Yeah. I mean, you should have a pretty decent, I mean, most of the time when you're looking at the mechanics of a game, even if you're not like a super math person, like I'm not good with statistics and probability, but there's somebody at the table usually has a pretty good idea like, oh, you'll be able to succeed, you know, 75% of the time rolling those dice or whatever. Like if you go into it and you're like, most of the stuff that we're going to end up rolling, the success rate's going to be less than 50%. That doesn't sound fun right out of the gate. Like, no, I, I would be questioning that before we even hit the table, you know? <laughs> yep. yep. Like, what is the system designed to do? Like, I don't know. <laughs> that would have me scratching my head. Yep. Well, I've, I've seen those games. Yeah. Uh, I've seen those games when I'm reading the rule book, and I'm like, hmm. <laughs> now, uh, it's The okay whole point the, is it's if, supposed to be a brutal slugfest yep. with a lot of attrition. You know, then the game's doing what it was designed to do, but if you're supposed to be heroic in any way, shape, or form, and the success rate is less than 50%, and wrong... <laughs> <laughs> or if a it's disconnect. a game, or if it's a game where success means that, um, or if it's a game where failure means succeed with a complication. Yeah, 
that's also okay. Yeah, because you're still then you're moving the plot forward. Accomplish their goal. More interesting. Yes. Um, you know, I've said it before. Any game where the players actively doing do everything possible to avoid picking up the dice, you've got to sit down and re- assess what's going on in the game. Because the players don't want to engage the main mechanic of the game, that's a problem. Yes. So, absolutely. But, all right. All right. Question well, let's three. Question number three. So, as a player, what do you do to get engaged early on in the game? What's your What's your method? All right. Um, for me, early on, if possible, I try to find an NPC to interact with. Um, find some NPCs in the group, find one that's interesting, interact with them. Uh, it gives us an immediate hook, gives me somebody to talk to, to go to for information. Um, some of the other players can also go, you know, I don't hoard the NPC either, make it somebody everybody else can get to. Um, and then while I'm sitting there, listen to the other PCs, learn their goals, work with them. Um, I'm not really good at giving a goal right off the bat because I'm rarely in games long enough to achieve goals. So I've never been good at setting goals early on in the game. So I try to learn what's there and try to find a goal for myself. But learn what the other PC goals are and work with them. If somebody's got a goal to do X and you think there's something you can do to either further that goal or at least help them with it or engage them with it, do that. Um, That goes back to my bring the other PCs into your story kind of thing and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that 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 gets you right into the game. Um, You know, if Bob's character is all about I want to kill vampires and my character knows how to make cool weapons for killing vampires. I'm going to focus on making cool weapons so Bob can kill vampires and talk to him about it. And now we'll talk together about this and then we'll get Sean to drive us to a place so Bob can kill vampires. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> yeah. but immediately that begins to be something there, you know, and this, and we're, we're joking around about this, but this is basically Knights black agents, you know, mm-hmm. um, some of us have really strong goals. Some have some have goals that aren't quite. I think I think Bob. I think you've got the the most prevalent goal in the game, mm-hmm. but it's one that everybody else can interact with. And as yeah. a result, anytime you're focused on that, we've got Glenn doing research, and we've got Jim doing hacking, and you've got uh, Sean being the face, and me making weapons. And so you know it becomes something. Do that as quickly as possible. Get people tied in. So yeah. We're on, we're on question three, Phil. We read your sections on questions one and two. Oh, well, thank we you. Just start, we just started question three. So I did my section now. If you want to jump in and answer, uh, as a player, what do you do to get engaged early on in the game? Yeah, my, my big thing here is looking for that initial drive. Like, I got to do this myself, right? I got to figure out, like, what is my character, um, like, what is my character doing, right? Um like what's my motivation here, right? For a lack of better term, but honestly, yeah. like why is my character into whatever this game premise is, right? I, I do this when I, um, when I run players through Hydra hackers, I, you know, will ask them like, Hey, why are you doing this? Like, this is a thing you could get killed doing. Like, what's your feelings about that? Right? Like, what are you, you know, like, why are you doing this? And usually players will come up with an answer um, that becomes their initial motivation. So I do that to myself, right? Like I sit myself down and say, okay, like, why are you a barbarian who left the axe torn Valley um, to enter into this dungeon? Right. And, and, and then when I solve that, right. When I'm like, okay. Um, you know, when I answer that question, I have my initial drive and, and that's all I need, right. For that early game. I just need some reason to point myself in a direction. It'll, the rest of it will develop once I get there. But I just need something to get going. 
Um, and to answer that question, I'm there for treasure uh, because, you know, I just, you know, I like treasure and I spend it on pleasures when I'm, you know, when I'm, you know, not in the dungeon kind of thing, which was actually the motivation for my Barbarian and Chris's um, Dungeon World game. Um, it later evolved, but it was enough of a hook to get me going. So that's what I do. I look for that initial drive and um, bootstrap myself off that drive. Awesome. Cool. All right. All right. Yeah. So for me, Bob? what I try to do what? is I, I try to throw my character into the conceits of the game. Like, like for Ox, we're super geniuses, right? So as we mentioned in a previous show, I started using lingo as quickly as possible. Phil threw us in media res into a disaster. And it's like, you have six minutes to solve this problem. And I was like, all right, bam, here's some lingo that makes me sound like I'm smart. And it sounds like I know what I'm doing. Right. And that did two things. One, it helped everybody else at the table kind of get a feel for like, Oh, he sounds like he knows what he's doing. And then it helped me get a little confidence in my own character. Like, you know, yeah, that sounded good. Like I, I think I can, I think I can pull this off. So it's, it's a, it's whatever the game is about. I try to engage that. I try to be a part of that. I try to, to, to inject myself into it as quickly as possible now, because that helps push things forward. Um, if the GM asks me a leading question, I try to make sure that when I answer that question, I'm not just like, you know, it's a cyberpunk game. So I don't give them just a cyberpunk answer. I give the cyberpunk answer that relates to the setting and the stuff that we've established already. I try to go as deep as I can so that I'm, I'm enforcing those connections. I'm digging into the hooks. Um, I'm leaving opportunities for further, further discussion about what I just said, those kind of things. Um, all of that uh, to me feels like I'm I'm uh, I'm engaging the game and trying to to be you know be there in the moment. That's my that's my uh, secret sauce. <laughs> Not much of a secret, but that's my secret cap. Hmm. Yeah, right. All right, that's our look at engagement and investment. We hope as you're starting off your next campaign, someone's advice helps you to build both of these things. And we're going to check in one more time with the chat room before we head on over to the conversation corner. All right. So uh, RP Gamerists uh, said they're doing Pathways for the first time tomorrow, and they're excited to finally learn it. Um, I thought Pathways was really a fun part of the uh, Cortex Prime character gen. Um, again, it's, it's, a, it's a module that you can use or you cannot use. Um, Phil chose to use it. Um, and then you tweak it for for your own uh, for your own purposes, but they give you a really good uh, example of how that you you can set it up. And it's you pick a bunch of stages and you and you get a bunch of prompts, and then you just start going through it and you work your way through and you add things. You make a mind map essentially. Like here's an NPC, here's an event, here's a a, a place, uh, and you start adding these things to the map. And you get that crossover between characters and events and things um, and the engagement uh, of, of, of like, you know, trying to figure out like, oh, that's very interesting. I wonder how that could relate to something else and um, a load of, uh, load of fun and very easily ported to any other game. If you want to use something like that for, uh, for a D&D game or if you want to use that for cyberpunk or whatever, that's a very easy thing to, uh, 
to pull out from Cortex and slide into another system. Very, very simple. Uh, I love all of that. I, and like, like I said before, anything that, that gives me some kind of prompt to work with or inspiration for answering a question or whatever, instead of going in blank slate, here's an empty page, fill it. It's like, here's 20 questions. All right, so in answering these questions, I'm going to learn something about the character I've got. Oh, here's this Pathways thing. Okay, great. Boom, da 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 So, love that stuff. Oh, Jim's... Misdirected Mark. Misdirected Mark, word scramble. For some reason, it's buffering these things before it plays. There's a huge gap after I hit the button before we get the thing. Jim Likes RPG says, Backstory is ongoing and doesn't stop with Session Zero if you do it right. Couldn't agree more. It's just as emergent as the ongoing story. As you unlock more backstory through play, it can really help crystallize your motivation as much as what's going on in the moment. And I, I like to go play that way too. Like I don't necessarily want to, um, to have everything emerge through play. I like to go in with something, but I am very much a fan of leaving a whole bunch of empty spaces and as something comes up in play, be like, oh yeah, that was the time that, uh, that you and me, we went and we did that thing in that place. I'd never been to Belize, you know, that kind of stuff. I love that stuff. You know, you grab something on the fly that sounds interesting. You're like, oh, I can hook that in. Bam. Done. Draw maps, leave blanks. Exactly. Yeah. I really just need that initial motivation. Like I need the, like, why am I at this table? And then Mm -hmm. the rest of this can evolve. Like as we play, like I just, and I really just need it because I want my character to have something or be something when Mm -hmm. I first start playing, like I want to, like, I want to have that early motivation. Like this is who my character is. Um, And then my character can grow just like they do from, you know, like in a pilot episode to a reg, you know, like into the first season. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, that should roll us on into the conversation corner. So. All right. So, uh, Dovetailing into the discussion of Ox again, um, my one thing for the week, uh, I, for the first time in six months, maybe, probably around six months, I did some reading that was not work-related, whether it be, you know, my, my day job or freelance or whatever. Um, I sat down and, uh, and read through a big chunk of the Cortex Prime book um, while we were literally playing our Ox game on Sunday. I was like, you know what? I really probably should have a dead tree version of this book instead of just relying on the PDF all the time. So I jumped on, looked to see where I could get it from. Amazon was the best choice, which unfortunately Amazon has forced themselves to be the best choice for a lot of things. But I ordered it. It arrived Monday afternoon. (laughs) Last night I sat and I read like a huge chunk of the character creation session and and the rules and how everything fits together and stuff. And had a really good read and then uh, made some tweaks to my character that I felt like I needed to make and, and, and some stuff like that and really got thinking about the game some more. So that was really so it's funny. I, I took the opposite approach. I, um, I, I did put the dead tree version on my Amazon list, but I actually went and got the digital version. So I have um, the PDF, but I also have access to the website. So it's like mm-hmm. in a web, it's like in a, a web page format as well. Mm-hmm. And that's actually pretty good. Um, in, nice. in terms of looking things up and stuff as well. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm actually planning now that we've run um, a couple games and I've kind of seen where I'm like lacking mm-hmm. like some mastery and am getting ready, ready to run um, Long Live the Queen 
in uh, a different version of Cortex, uh, I'm also like, yes, I now need to um, read, read this book Mm -hmm. again. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your one thing. No, that's all right. Um, As a part of that, I also started working on um, a cheat sheet with some of the some of the the key rules pieces that 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 may need reinforcement uh, on the fly. So I did that, and then uh, obviously we played the game, which uh, which turned out great. We had uh, some moments where Phil was just rolling above and beyond. Oh, like boy, did I roll dice. some big numbers. At one point, he throws four d eight into his dice tray, and he comes up eight eight seven seven, and I'm like, really. <laughs> 16 come on i'm winning this round yeah but we uh, we eventually prevailed i thought it was hilarious because um this is about us being disaster averting geniuses and with one set of exceptions at the very end of the game everything i tried to do made the disaster worse it was (laughs) (laughs) was that failed the disaster got worse that failed the disaster got worse (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a bumpy ride for Gree, but uh, it know, was luckily, fun. It was a lot. Luckily, Alfarum so was there to 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 carry everyone else. So you know, yes, Gree got the wedding done. I got yes, the wedding Gree done. Got the wedding I, done. I, I, which I, was I, almost as important prev- as stopping true, the fire king. <laughs> true, true love, true, true love prevailed, which is which is all that matters. So yes, yes. Oh man. So on top of that, then uh, uh, obviously finished off the book of Boba Fett, which was an amazing finale. Uh, another episode of Discovery, um, which I I can't wait to see how they resolve this this uh, season. Did this is did this go back? This goes back as soon as uh, oh as soon as Prodigy ended its uh, its mid season uh, finale, they threw Disco back in. Oh, they, oh I got something to watch tomorrow then. Yes, right, another cool. finale. We we have literally um, like twenty seven more weeks of of Star Trek in a row. Yeah. So buckle up. Um, still working my way through Parks and Recreation, um, and have come to the conclusion that I loathe Tom with every fiber of my being. Anybody who's watched the show knows who Tom is. If you don't, he's a whiny man, baby, and that's all you need actor to know. Is he, who's the actor? That's Aziz Ansari. Okay, got it. Whiny man, baby. Hate him, hate him, hate him. I just want to punch him in the mouth every time he comes on screen. But anyhow, the show is good, though. Everybody said it picks up after season three, so... Um, and then, of course, I uh, had some people over for the Super Bowl. Really fun game, entertaining, had a good time. And uh, and now, the off season, <laughs> as football kind of fades into the background again. But that's for me. Jerry, you're up. Uh, I decided on a whim to watch the – I'd seen in two episodes. I decided to watch, start watching the entirety of the Harley Quinn cartoon. Um, which is not for children, is absolutely hilarious. Uh, the characters are creative and fun. Um, it both uh, is an homage to the DC universe and also a parody of the DC universe. Um, it's basically about Harley Quinn deciding that she's had enough of Joker and about Joker constantly trying to keep her from being her own person and how she thwarts him. And um, it's also... Uh, if you've read the comics, you know where this is going, but it's also the interesting relationship between Harley and Poison Ivy as it develops. Um, Poison Ivy also, uh, against her better judgment, dating Kite Man, which is a lot of fun. Um, Plus just the fun of Ron Funches is the voice of 
King Shark, and um, it, it's got a it's got a deep deep cast and has a lot of fun with running jokes like Bane, like uh, they keep bringing the Bane, and Bane's big thing is he just wants to keep like blowing things up, like the kid at the coffee shop keeps putting my name down as Brad. We're gonna blow up that coffee shop. You know, it's like no, um, so it's a funny show with some really good action sequences. A lot of fun. It's it's a fun superhero cartoon and uh, a lot more fun than I than I remembered it being. And I'm just enjoying it a lot. I'd seen the first two episodes and liked it. Didn't realize how how deep it got um, as it goes. Um, well, like a lot of people, I watched the Book of Fett. Um, I'll just say it was fun and I liked it a lot. I'm very happy and I don't want to uh, ruin it for anybody. Um, Second to last episode of Peacemaker was last week, and things are really ramping up. Um, it's a good show with a lot of interesting uh, character development, and that's a lot of the fun. Um, plus, it's 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 funny, it's vulgar, it's violent, it's all the things that I like. Um, been enjoying playing some No Man's Sky. Uh, both Bob and Phil have helped me figure out some of the things that were uh, going oddly for me, though not all of them. <laughs> um, Ox was just an amazing game. I really had a lot of fun. Um, I failed almost every role I made and it was having a ball doing it. And that's the sign of a good game. Um, had I rolled even average, I would have succeeded in a lot more things. So it's not the fault of the game. It was just the dice rolling, but it was a lot of fun. And we still got to be super geniuses. And I got to, um, I got to, uh, officiate a wedding in the middle of a fire cane disaster to bring two families together. So it was always fun. Um, Super Bowl was great. And uh, just a fun game, and it's fun to sit with Bob and Phil. Um, I finally got a chance to uh, watch Werewolves Within, which is a kind of a horror comedy with, uh, oh, what's her name? Miliana Vantraub, the, the, Milena, the AT&T yeah. girl. Yep. Um, it's a fun movie about basically a very small, isolated town where people are at odds over a pipeline coming through, and then there may or may not be a werewolf in town. And everybody thinks everybody else. It's it's literally Werewolf the Game as a movie where everybody thinks everybody else is a werewolf and people are accused of things and stuff goes in an odd direction. It's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, I went to the Lego store this week and spent a gift certificate that my employees got me. And so I built a lot of small Lego sets. Um, as, as as has been the case lately, if you've been following my stuff on, on Facebook, um, as much fun as I enjoy building the city sets, the Lego Friends sets are just knocking it out of the park this year. So uh, they have a fun little taco truck, juice bar, sushi bar set that came out that's just got a lot of little fun little accents and things that are neat. So I'll be posting pictures of those later this week. So that was me just having a very good weekend. Um, of course, Valentine's Day was yesterday. So my wife and I celebrated like we normally do. We get a heart-shaped pizza and relax and enjoy ourselves. So uh, it's nice and easy and it's, it's always fun. All right, Phil. Uh, my big thing will dovetail with Bob, which is Ox. I mean, Jerry mentioned it as well, so I'll just mention it a little bit more. Um, this is our um, super geniuses solving uh, space, rescuing space disaster um, uh, campaign. Uh, I this is really my first run at Cortex. Like, I actually didn't really get to play Marvel, and I didn't play any of the other. I think we played we played like the early Firefly. But anyway, point being. Point being, this is really my first time running um, Cortex Prime, and um, I love it. Um, I'm having the same feeling running it that I did 10 years ago running Fate. Um, and actually, 
like it a little more than I like um, Fate for reasons that I'm not ready to express yet because I want to play it a few more times to really like compare and contrast. But I'm digging it. Um, I guess the first thing is uh, I don't roll minus ones. Um, yeah. Like I actually roll some real opposition now and like that felt good. Um, but I like the like it was not difficult to make this game up. And I just went through the same process with Senda to make up the um, Cortex conversion for our long live the queen game. And that came out really well. And those are two, um, those are two different games. They have different attributes, use different mods, all that stuff. I'm excited to play both of them. They will be, um, I think they're both going to be really fun. Um, And each one was um, made to do the thing it was going to do. Uh, which I really like. Like, it is a really fun way to build the game that you want to play. I'm excited. We are definitely going to do some deep dives into Cortex in the next couple months as we mm-hmm. play it some more, gain a little mastery on it, and then we're going to come back and start talking about it in some more depth. But already, I'm liking the things. But as for Ox, um, when we were originally trying to make the game and pitching the game, we kept talking about this fire cane and this um, wedding going off. And I took, you know, I was like, that's what I'm going to do for the first adventure. Like, I got at least I got to see if I can make this happen. Um, and the Cortex system worked perfectly for it. Like, we were able to make a thing that felt like the fire cane was closing in. Mm-hmm. And we were able to model it in the game with dice rolls and using the existing mechanics of the game. And um, and it and it worked like it, it hit it made landfall and it was pretty scary. And then after surviving like the kind of initial landfall, it slowly started to ramp down um, just like you would expect it to. So anyway, it played great. I really like the energy at the table. I really like both characters. Um, I got a lot of stuff to work with. Your um, backstory stuff gave me, I mean, I already pulled some stuff in for our second adventure um, just to kind of like start putting some things into place. Um, I'm psyched. I'm psyched. It's inspiring me to just like, I want to now just read the whole Cortex book again. Like I read it once, but I I obviously didn't get enough of it. Um, it, I want to, and this is the first time in a long time, I want to gain system mastery. I haven't had that feeling in a while. I like want to do it. All right. Anyway, other stuff for me, I'm playing a shit ton of No Man's Sky, as you could imagine. Um, I got into the Apple TV series for all, for all mankind, which is the, um, space race alternate future one oh boy this is a good show um if you are like into like any kind of you know 60s 70s um space you know kind of stuff like the tom hanks documentary or um you know the apollo movie or whatever like oh boy this is good like this is a really um interesting alternate history highly recommended um super bowl was a blast and uh, Saturday, I got to do a college tour with my son. That was also a big thing. Like we went to um, we went to a school that he got accepted at and took a tour. And that was like a big father Sunday. So that was uh, that was a lot of fun. That was cool. Anyway, that's my Very stuff. Cool. Very cool. <clears throat> All right. Well, that's going to put us in the uh, Patreon shout outs. <clears throat> so thank you so much to the old school DM, Sean Merwin, our very own. Troy Sandlin, Zach Goins, Carlos Martin, Chris Constantine, Cindy Moore, Eric Simon, Mirko Froelich, and Andrew Demps. And thank you to everyone for listening tonight.
If you are free on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. The Queen's Time, come join us live on Twitch where you can chat with the other listeners in the awesome chat room for life and ask us the occasional question. If you can't make the live show, check out our podcast each week, wherever you get your podcasts. And take a listen to some of the other shows for this Director Mark Network, such as They're a Super Geek, Mastering Dungeons, Bones and Obsidian, The FM Gamers, Panas Talking Games, The Gnome Cast, Shanku Hustle, The Lounge, Bonus Experience, and back episodes of She's a Super Geek. You can and also sh- should check out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, and the always amazing Gaming and BS. Yes. And before your focus turns on to the game or you bleed right into it, leave us some feedback. You can reach us directly on the old-fashioned email, mmp at misdirectedmark.com. Hit us up on Twitter. The show, the network is at misdirectedmark. He's Robert M. Everson. He's GM Gerrymander. I'm DNA Phil. If you like what we do here and on the other shows in the Misdirected Mark Network, you can support our Patreon campaigns. MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandastocky Games are at patreon.com slash MMP. Shangu Hustle is at patreon.com slash Shangu Hustle. And Bonus Experience is at patreon.com slash bonus experience. Patrons of MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games get access to the after show, pre-production show notes, musical parodies, the Bamboo Lounge, and other special releases. This has been a Mr. Mark production. The media arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop. We out.